Hello, horror fam, best friends, and ghoulish knights, and welcome to the 30th episode of Murders with Mertens. I can't believe it. I almost said 13th. I am your host, Joe, and this is a podcast about horror, body horror, sci-fi horror, the horror adjacent, teen horror, really problematic issues from the 90s horror sometimes. Oh, we've got thrillers, the psychologically terrifying, the horror adjacent, scary films in general. Each episode, I sit down with a guest and discuss one of their favorite scary films so we can gush about everything that makes it just so damned cool. Viewers, thank you for your support. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe if you are so inclined. It all helps to get the word out and bring some much-needed love to this little podcast. Audio listeners, the show is also available on podcast services around the world, like Apple Podcasts and Spotify, so don't forget to leave a rating when you stop by, or completely forget to even listen to me after you follow me, like Greg Miller did. Yeah, you know who you are. You know what you've done. Ah, uh, let's see. Enough of all that housekeeping. We have a new guest to talk about the spoops, and in that endeavor, I have the pleasure of introducing the Brooklyn Bear himself, Mr. Joey Polanco. Joey, how the hell are you? Good, good, good. Happy to be here. First time, first of many to come in the future. Well, I know that we both love the spoops. We love the horror, uh, and we definitely talk about it from time to time on the Twitter. So, uh, yeah, I said the Twitter. Yeah, I'm showing my age today. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, glad to finally get you on. And, uh, oh, you, you've uh, <laughs> you brought a banger. Um, but before we get to that, Joey, who are you? I am. Who am I? That is a great. Many people on Twitter will, I guess, consider me a memester, a knack three hopeful, a horror film, film buff, graphic designer, video gamer, all of the above. Nerd. That works. That works. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you have brought along a good one. Like I said, an absolute banger. Today's film is none other than 1998's Disturbing Behavior, written by Scott Rosenberg and directed by David Nutter. At the time, Scott would only have indie films like uh, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead and Beautiful Girls under his belt, but he had also branched out into the mainstream with uh, a little bit of studio fare like Con Air. Uh, and he'd yes. go on to give us Kangaroo Jack and Venom. Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, David Nutter, uh, mostly a television director, uh, mostly, most recently uh, directing nine episodes of Game of Thrones and The Time Traveler's Wife for HBO. A uh, whole lot of TV, this guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. X-Files in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, ooh, more X-Files connections here. Yeah, because we've got Mark Snow doing the score, and it is so good. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's good. I forget got that this movie had such a fun score um yeah i i was saying to you um earlier in the week I, i'm getting like major twin peaks had a baby with uh x files vibes with this score and I'm, I'm just here for it it's so much fun there's it's crazy how like a movie like this like once you hear the things that happen behind the scenes and and the final version that released it's, it's such a crazy experiment that i am like so infested like uh i am so like addicted to to find every nook and cranny of everything that happened with this film and i'm just like there, there's like a csi wall in my in my <laughs> bedroom for years of like Every interview I find in, in Fangoria or LA Times or something, I'm I'm just like putting the pieces together. You are the uh always sunny uh gif of Charlie with the board. Uh yes. 
Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of uh, behind the scenes stuff. I can't wait to see what you dredged up on this one. Um, I mean, honestly, what's your history with the film? Well, when this movie came out, I, I am going to reveal my age, and I apologize in advance. That's okay. When this movie came out, I was uh, eight years old. I know. It's fair. I know it hurts. I know. It's fair. I know it hurts. But hey, uh, I, I got like a little over 10 years on you. That's all. It's not that bad. <laughs> but it, it's like uh, I was growing up. My dad had this like hot box cable. Uh, and we'll it was just I was one of those kids raised in front of a TV. My parents, uh, they're Spanish. They don't speak English. And I'm in the other room watching things I shouldn't have been watching for my of age, course. But, but it was fun. But this was a movie that, like, every time it came on, I was just rewatching and rewatching and rewatching. And then actually, like, saved up the money to buy the VHS for kids that don't know VHS. Mm. Is a, yeah. Is, is, a, is a form of media. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But, but then as, like, the internet age came, well, even though the internet was around dial-up, and more information that came out about this movie is just like, okay, this was a very overlooked movie for its time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, you know, like I said earlier, I was uh, a sophomore in undergrad, probably when this was out, it was out in 98. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. This was when we were all discovering uh, Katie Holmes and, you know, I, you know, as far as I was concerned, she was going to be my future wife at that point because wow. Uh, so she was the major attraction for seeing this movie, uh, at that time. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's plenty to love about this film other than, uh, you know, her. So for one thing, the film looks freaking beautiful. It's is surprisingly well shot for a teen horror film in the late nineties. Um, yes, it's it's got the you know the the banger score from Mark Snow, um, and a hell of a cast. Um, I just wow. it, it's, it's crazy going back because obviously I, I I rewatched it again, getting ready for this, and just going back and getting that sweet sweet film grain that we no longer get anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it it it's weird, especially for me that it feels so nostalgic, even though I was not in high school at that time. Well, Uh, I I think that's a fun thing with a lot of horror fans. You know, like you said, uh, you end up seeing a lot of shit when you're way too young to see it. Uh, Usually that comes from, like you mentioned, uh, growing up in front of a TV or, you know, when you have sleepover with friends or whatever, and horror films are often like a a thing with that when you're a kid, because it's all about absolutely terrifying each other, uh, before you, you know, try to go to sleep. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, I totally there with you with, um, with that. Uh, yeah. Now, one, one thing that did surprise me, you told me earlier this week that this was actually available on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. That I did not know myself. So I was very curious as to the cut that was on HBO Max. So for those out there that stumble upon Reddit, there's these small pockets of the internet that are trying to get every nook and cranny of this movie. There are three known cuts of this movie. Uh, the HBO Max is the theatrical that released. 
there is the quote-unquote fan cut that was put together with the alternate ending. And then there's the director's cut that will never see the light of day, sadly. Hopefully. Hopefully. Because I will be tweeting at Nutter after this. Mm. Hopefully, maybe he has a change of heart because he is in possession of it. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You know, a lot of uh, horror films do get, you know, second or third or fourth lives on uh, physical media these days. So you never know. You never know. I, I was... Shocked to see, you know, David Lynch uh, deciding to up-res Inland Empire and end up, uh, you know, doing the Criterion release with that after a little theatrical run. Never thought I would see something like that see the light of day. But here we are. Um, Yeah. I'm crossing fingers, but (laughs) MGM is the one that's that's pushing this, uh, pushing this away. Yeah. Um, so for those that are are not aware, uh, this movie went through numerous cuts. Uh, it wasn't well received test audiences in the '90s, and uh, there was a point where uh, David Nutter was not extremely happy with the amount of changes they were asking him to make with the uh, final film. Uh, there is a total of eleven that I know of, eleven deleted scenes and an alternate ending. Uh, one of them being a love scene with Katie Holmes. It it exists somewhere, <laughs> uh, but but uh, yeah, just see, it's crazy when you read everything that took place and you look at the final movie, and it's just like, wow, this is a really incomplete vision of this director's work. Like this is really yeah. butchered. Oh, and you can definitely tell there's just some gaps in you know the plot here and yeah. there, and yeah. Yeah. Um the, the the intro which I I'm not a, a big fan of because it's missing the rest. Uh, uh um Galvin uh uh he witnesses a murder at the beginning of the movie in the car. Um which by the way there is a nod to beautiful girls in that scene for those who may be aware. Um when a police officer asks the student to come out, he's saying you got a big game against a. Uh, um, oh, this is come on, come on! You got a big game against a uh, uh, Knights Ridge, which is the town in which Beautiful Girls, uh, the main character in Beautiful Girls, comes from. Uh, little nod, non-existent place, but <laughs> yeah. After after that murder is witnessed, it's never never heard or spoken of again in the rest of the cut um, until you realize that. There is a subplot of them trying to uh, release this information to the public. And it's just like, wow, this is an unnecessary intro to this movie. But yeah, it it barely gets brought up uh, throughout the rest of the film and really only as a wedge in between Steve and uh, Gavin. Um, Yeah. And it it, it does feel odd. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think we should kind of jump into this and we'll sprinkle some more of that stuff in as we go along. Um, yeah, well, we start with opening credits and uh, a great theme uh, from the one and only Mark Snow. Uh, and this is all super, you know, late 90s, early aughts, and I'm absolutely here for it as far as how it's cut together. 
Um, you know, it's you got to have that big long intro with just credits and nothing of plot or anything. It's no, we're not just getting right into this. We don't have a cold open, none of that. Nope. We're just we're here for straight up credits, and that's cool. That that title sequence still works today, by the way. Oh yeah, it does. Um, you get the little flashes of like the uh, the implants with the eyes and uh, school kids, you know, dressed up uh, like the good kids, uh, yeah, and all the yeah. other fun stuff. Just as little sprinkles and teases to uh, you know get you started for this. Um, and then we jump into it. Uh, we we get cut from here to a Starry Night Sky and get the final bits of daylight fading on the Pacific Northwest. And uh, there's a fairy giving a blast of its horn as it departs and loons calling in the distance. They are saying this is the Pacific Northwest uh, as much as they possibly can. Um, and I guess the local dam's the popular makeout spot. And we see a couple of teenagers in their car parked there and they're kissing. And the song that the film is, uh, trying to promote as hard as it can is playing on the radio. And, uh, yeah, yeah. We've, uh, what is it? Got you where I want you from the flies. Um, I, I remember it being popular at the time. Um, that, and, uh, the Harvey danger song that plays, uh, halfway through this was used in the marketing, like crazy. Um, that was pretty popular. And even in too. the flies, even in the flies music video, the, uh, Katie Holmes and James Marston filmed some random mm -hmm. things for the music video as well. I kind of miss that with music videos of songs from, uh, yeah. movies, you know, like, uh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that was a time, um, the eighties and the nineties. But um, weirdly, I, I what hits my head is Dangerous Minds. Whenever I think of a, a movie music yep. video of like, how does go? Yep. Yeah, <laughs> the, the the music video for uh, Ray Parker Jr. for Ghostbusters. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, where they shot tons of stuff for the music video. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. You just don't really see that stuff anymore. Um. So yeah, we got the kids making out, uh, the girls being quite a bit more aggressive and the guy's just kind of cold and aloof. And she asks him what, asks him what's wrong. And he does the jock thing of saying he needs to keep his fluids in him for the big game. Um, yeah, gross, but, uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's a thing, I guess. Um, and, uh, he changes the subject by criticizing her ankle tattoo. Um, so he, we're, we're getting a real sense of just how prim and proper this dude is. Um, not really sure, uh, how these two connected with, um, how aggressive she is and how he's being, yep. but whatever we'll, we'll understand more later. Um, so he calls the tattoos self mutilation and she responds with, uh, giving him a BJ. So, um, yeah. Yes, like you do, like you do. Yeah. Um, and, uh, this is all happening while the local stoner Gavin is watching from a hill above. Meanwhile, the five O pulls up to bust some neckers. And, uh, at this point, Andy, the jock, uh, he starts having a bit of a negative reaction from the stimulation and we get this red light pulsing in his eye and suddenly he just straight up snaps her neck. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and pulls her head up to his face and says to her slut, um, and he just kind of zips himself up as, uh, the cops are knocking at his window. 
Um, and the officer, you know, gets him out of the car, asks him about the big game coming up, like you mentioned. Um, this is the point where um, his partner spies the dead girl in the passenger seat. Um, the the kid has his little freak out, grabs the first officer's gun, and blows the other one away. Again, saying that he needs to keep his fluids <laughs> for the game. Yeah, I need my fluids. Um, so this officer, he's pretty calm about all this, right? Uh, he, yeah. he pulls the uh, the other officer's body aside and he dumps the girl out of the car and he tells the kid to get out of there as he calls it in. Meanwhile, Gavin's seeing all this shit going down from above. Um, yeah. Dog, by the way. Yeah, because we never see the dog again in this film, do we? Never. Never at all. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of sad about that. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Again, one of those things is very clear. There's something missing on the cutting room floor. Um, And the dog does bark as they're running away. And uh, the the cop notices, but, you know, doesn't chase off after them or anything like that. Maybe that's something that was missing. It very easily could have been because that would have made sense. Um, but yeah, it's as, as much as it sounds like I'm shitting on this film, I'm really not. This is tons of fun and it, all of its late 90s glory. Um, you know, we get a good combination of eventually in this film of incredibly self-aware talky teens like we had in scream and then in shows like dawson's creek and movies like i know what you did last summer you know funnily enough all kevin williamson properties and wonder where it all came from right um faculty yep yes the faculty is another movie that absolutely rips and if anybody hasn't seen it fairly recently you need to do yourself a favor and go back and rewatch that movie because that that that's a robert rodriguez all-timer right there um such a good cast in that one too um but yeah um (laughs) what i will say which again disappoints me with the cut that was released there is a deleted scene when gavin shows uh steve the body oh of mary joe which is the girl that oh which she is un uh, they cannot tell it's her only by the tattoo but her head is missing oh god and again missing uh, this scene is missing for i don't this is how he kind of alerts Steve that, hey, something is going on here. Yeah. I, mm, there would have to be many other scenes inserted for all Later. this to make yes. sense, too, because, yes. wow, uh, Steve would seem otherwise very okay with finding the body. Very calm. Very calm. <laughs> Extremely calm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, that James Marsden, uh, he's cool as a cucumber, right? Um, so. <laughs> Oh, God. You know, he was only about 24 or so when they filmed this movie, but he looks perennially in his 30s throughout his entire life. I think he turns like about 50 this year. Um, It's but he always looks like he's in his 30s. It's that I didn't know. Wow. It's it's uh, that's him. (laughs) 
Um, so yeah, Gavin runs away and we cut to daytime and we've got James Morrison and his younger sister, uh, who it took me until, uh, you know, the, maybe about halfway through my note taking to realize, Oh, it's ginger from ginger snaps. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also from Freddy versus Jason. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, she doesn't have a lot to do in this movie, but yeah, that's cool, man. Um, it's cut. Damn it. <laughs> I know. And this is where it gets weird. This is this in this cut. Yeah. Well, they're, uh, they're on the upper deck of this, uh, ferry. Um, they're, uh, clearly moving to a new town. She's super excited about starting over. He's, uh, pretty blase about it. Um, and let's see here. Uh, yeah, he's just full of nineties teen angst and, uh, for good reason. And we're going to learn about that later. But, um, as she heads off to rejoin their folks, uh, he spots a rowboat adrift and, uh, looks a little odd, but he doesn't really say anything about it. Um, yeah, I, I, I God, could that possibly be tied into anything else? Because now, now I'm second guessing everything that's just ever so slightly off. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh it, that's not, but, but you're right, but that's not. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the family piles into their vehicle complete with a U-Haul trailer, even though they also have a moving truck. That's weird. Um, yeah. And yeah, uh, as they're leaving the ferry, um, this attendant welcomes them with this super cryptic, you'll never want to leave or whatever. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Cradle Bay. Yeah. A little ham fisted. Yeah. Cradle Bay, Crescent Island. Um, and then we get to the house as the movers are unpacking boxes and the younger sister, she's playing with some kind of alien autopsy toy while avoiding helping her mother unpack. This kid seems about five or six, two years, like too young or rather too mm-hmm. old to be playing around with some of this stuff. Um, there there's other instances throughout the film where this girl is clearly in junior high, but she's doing stuff or being treated like so much more of a child. It's, it's very odd to me, but, uh, yeah, it's just what I'm picking up as I'm watching this thing. <laughs> I, don't know. I think the next or sec, I think one or two scenes after this is where my first question comes up with this sister with okay. this cut. Okay. So yeah. Um, <laughs> in that case, I'm glad we're on the same page. Uh, yeah. the, the dad checks in with James Marsden. I, I, I have this horrible habit of just calling people by the actors names with Steve, yeah. with Steve, uh, and ask Steve him if he's so generic, but I, I, you know, it is, yeah. um, and, and asking him if he's nervous about his uh, first day at school and, you know, the kid denies it, but it's very clear that he's going through something cause he's just kind of sitting on the edge of the bed, staring off into nothing. Um, and then after Steve, his dad walks away, he calls off after him, but his dad's like, Nope, I already left the room. Peace. <laughs> you got your daughter. Yeah. 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 It's so odd because he's clearly within earshot, but you know, he's just walked away. Uh, and then and you do get the splices of his memories of his brother. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like, uh, memories or a dream or whatever. And it's so funny because it's, um, presented as like home video. 
mm-hmm. and his his brother is clearly a somewhat disturbed individual and uh, you know just uh, yeah not great Steve snaps awake from this little reverie and, uh, and then we just cut to school and we get the establishing shot of the school and for a small island in the Pacific Northwest they have a massive high school population it's this is a lot of kids. Now it, it's crazy that yes, massive population, but each each establishing shot of the school, I see the same two extras in every scene. That's fair. And there's but... this uh, there's this guy with the with the uh, um, striped shirt, and I see him from afar, and it's like this was all filmed in the same day. But yeah, yeah like the yeah. skater kid with the green shirt with the logo on it, you see him over and over again. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's clearly established that it's a pretty big school now comparatively like Mackinac Island here in Michigan, uh, it's probably the most populated Island in Michigan. Um, but their school only has 52 kids and that's pre-K through 12th grade. So, and I'm very curious how big this Island is just because, how do you have a population that has that many high school age kids? It just doesn't make sense, but I am not supposed to think about this, but it's something I'm clearly noticing as I'm watching this. It's weird. I never thought of that here in New York. I never thought I never made that connection. Yeah. Cause it's not supposed to be a big city or anything, but this, this feels like the type of high school where it's a town where there's like, two or three different high schools it's that big because they have that many people i i don't know it's just weird to me um but yeah uh and you get the clear shots of okay here's all your punk kids and here's your you know blue ribbons we don't know they're blue ribbons yet but we see some of them walking in um and cut to english class right away uh where they're discussing great expectations and uh, Steve gets called out for being new by this uh, prissy ass teacher. I, I don't know what his deal is. Was aggressive, very yeah. aggressive. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Very strange teacher. But it, w- once you get deeper into the film, it's very clear who's in on everything and who's not. And uh, oh, clearly this dude is in on everything. Um, we get uh, one of the students who's uh, big into auto shop, Dickie, coming in late, and uh, the teacher gives him a bunch of shit. This kind of uh, saves Steve from having to uh, respond to anything. Uh, he calls the teacher a peckerhead. There's a bit of an exchange between them. And then, like, the king of the good kids, uh, I think his name's Trent, uh, calls him out for being stupid. And Dickie decides it's time to throw hands, and he gets sent to the principal's office. Um, this wow this all happens relatively fast uh the teacher continues to be a massive asshole throughout all of this i I love teachers in a lot of 80s and 90s stuff the type of shit that they get away with is just absolutely ridiculous um (laughs) my my favorite is in, in many of these high school shots in the 80s and 90s you always have the extra shot of the kid like Pulling the jacket, you know, straighten himself out multiple mm. times after like a scuffle was like, yeah, you did it like four times in one cut. Okay, we got it. It's straight. We're good. It, it's yeah, kind of it, it's like uh, uh, Liam Neeson hopping over the fence a dozen times and taking two. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we we got it, dude. We got it. You straighten mm-hmm. it out. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> Sheesh. 
And then you have a Gavin in the back with the headphones on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They have their first little meeting with each other, but you know, they're not really introduced and, but now we get to lunchtime and this is where Gavin and UV do introduce themselves. Uh, Steve lays his sandwich down directly on the table. No plate, no napkin. Gross as all hell. I, right. I, I, mm, sure did, <laughs> but you're nasty. <laughs> even gross. the stoner, even the stoner dude has a rapper and everything. Yeah. Uh, so the, yeah, his sub that he never eats. I, I have a feeling he's yeah. just keep he's just keeping his drugs in his sandwich. That's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. like he's um, explaining the class system. Yes, and this is one of the just iconic scenes of this film. He proceeds to introduce Steve to the various cliques around the lunchroom in just spectacular fashion, like who they are, what they're into, along with their music of choice and drug of choice. Uh, you know, you got your motorheads, the nerds, the skaters, and of course the blue ribbons. Um, yeah, yeah. This is, um, where we are very much introduced to the fact that this is a movie that's riffing on the Stepford wives. Um, yes. because holy crap, these kids are straight out of the fifties. Um, yeah, there's nothing more to say about their look. Um, that was on my notes too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, they're kind of awful. And, uh, I think before this we're introduced to, um, I think her name is Lorna. Uh, she's like, uh, the queen bee of them and, uh, Gavin's fantasy. Um, but she's, they're awful to each other. And so, yeah, they, they, they both deserve each other there. Um, and yeah, uh, on his way out of school, Steve spots a very angry looking Dickie taking off in his Mustang and looks back at a couple of, uh, blue ribbon kids that are harassing this kid who clearly does not want help with his math. Um, I, yeah, I, I and it's very out of character actually for them. Yeah, it's, you know, they, while they're presented as being the good kids, and the 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 upstanding kids of um of this high school they're all assholes and they're all yeah. super cold and unkind to everyone i mean there there's this parent meeting later on in the film where one of the parents of one of the blue ribbon kids is actually bringing this up how you know they're just he's cold he's distant doesn't seem to have any you know love for anybody but the people in his group and yeah oh god it shows it's yeah i suppose it's meant for the best i mean they're all doing this as a way to you know get their kids into you know a better life but how is it awful um but then you get introduced uh katie holmes yeah yeah um well eventually uh because we go back to steve's place uh after uh this with the 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 math kid um and his sisters made a friend that's and that's where i'm like wait a minute this was way too fast yeah what just happened here oh yeah um yeah she's uh made a friend at school on her first day and brought her home to uh, you know have dinner with them and uh they're practicing for a spelling bee um in junior high again day yeah and and again it's you're doing spelling bees in junior high 
again, yeah. what age are you supposed to be? It's, <laughs> yeah. It, mm, and, yeah. In this cut. In this cut. Okay. Yes. Yes. We're going to keep saying that. Okay. Um, so it's revealed through conversation that yes, they had a brother who died and the dad really doesn't want to talk about it. Um, Steve gives him a little bit of pushback about all this and basically storms off. Uh, and we just cut to Dickie driving out to this creepy commercial dock to, uh, pick up some car parts. And it's very clear. This is all a setup by the blue ribbons to beat his ass. Um, uh, or which I will say, which I will say, I do find funny when he comes and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm here for the Mustang parts. It's like, you have a Mustang that's perfectly built, perfectly. Shot. Yep. Yep. Yeah. We could have thought of anything car. else. We could have thought of anything else on the script. I'm here for the Mustang parts. Yeah. Right. It's, it's not great dialogue to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not there, there are some choice lines in this film with the slang that we'll get into later. It's excusable Sl- for its time. I don't know, because to me, it no. sounds like slang that never existed. Uh, that was written for this movie. It's like, this is what the cool kids will say by the time we've recorded this movie and actually released it. Uh, I don't know. It's weird, but again, still kind of works. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, the camera kind of cuts away as it looks like, uh, Dickie is going to have to throw down with all these people that brought their bats and hockey sticks and everything else to fuck him up. Um, yeah, good times. Uh, cut to the next day. Maybe it's uh, again, the sign of a film that got torn to pieces in the editing bay is, uh, not being able to put together a really good sense of timeline, whether it's the next day or a few days from then or whatever. Um, but yeah, Steve is, uh, in a meeting with the principal, uh, and they're expecting this Dr. Caldecott, uh, that, um, He's basically like a counselor for the students in some kind of capacity. They, they kind of hand wave his position away. It's weird, but, uh, yeah, uh, he's played by the, uh, always awesome Bruce Greenwood with a less than awesome mustache. Um, yes. it's creepy. Uh, I think it's supposed to be, uh, slightly Nazi-esque looking. I think that's kind of the whole point because of doctors doing, you know, creepy experiments and all that yeah. stuff. So, yep, he he could be a, you know, easy stand in for a Dr. Mangala type thing, um, because clearly that's what this is all about. So Dr. Caldecott encourages him to uh, Steve to join the Blue Ribbons um, just because, you know, it'll be good for you. You know, these are upstanding Mm -hmm. kids. They lift each other up. They study together. They practice together. Yes, they make each other better people, blah, blah, blah. Man, they are pushing this Blue Ribbons thing hard on him. But he he declines, and then they tiptoe around um, the idea that his uh, brother's death is the reason that he's declining, but he's just like, nope, I'm out. And, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's Dr. Caldecott there. Um, Weird to say he's declining in the first week, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you're declining. You you you're showing no interest. I'm like, dude, it's like my second, third day. Yeah, yeah. Give me an opportunity to get my feet wet in this school and see what's what, yeah. see what I want to do. But no, no, they're just pushing this on him right away. Um, 
And when we know more of the plot later on, it, it, that becomes a bit more clear as to why that is. Um, so this is where Steve steps out of school to the absolute vision that was the late 90s Katie Holmes. Um, fuck you, Tom Cruise. Um, Pantsing up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. That was a time where a bunch of sophomore college dudes are all sitting on a couch watching Dawson's Creek for one reason and one reason only. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Gavin introduces them and, uh, suggests that they go, you know, try to cruise for some beer. Um, they go through about 10 people in the parking lot of the grocery store, asking them to buy for them with no results. And here we are introduced to Chug. What a lovely nickname. Yeah. Uh, somebody that Rachel clearly used to be friends with, but now he's a blue ribbon and he's all extra stalkery. Um, Gavin is far less than kind to him. Um, yeah. Making all sorts of jokes at his expense about uh, steroids and everything else. Uh, Chug. Yogurt shop. Yes. He invites her yes. to yogurt shop and and of course this town it's not just an ice cream parlor no it's fucking frozen yogurt because they're going to be extra healthy um you know not that yo frozen yogurt is necessarily bad but when you've got ice cream as an alternative i'm just saying um you know you, you don't look like yeah you don't look like this from frozen yogurt no it's ice cream <laughs> yeah um, but, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> Gavin just wants to crack jokes about that. I love the whole thing about active cultures. Um, that's funny. <laughs> that's fucking funny. Gavin is a sharp kid. Uh, Chug, uh, just heads inside the store after shoulder checking Gavin, uh, or, and Gavin just continues to needle Rachel about all this. She's just like, fuck off. Um, I love their dynamic. They're supposed to be good friends, but they're just constantly, constantly. Yes. Yes. Um, so as they're, uh, getting after each other there, uh, Chug is waiting in line and staring, just transfixed at Rachel's body. Uh, and he's clearly having a little bit of a malfunction indicated by, you know, the flashing right eye. Uh, and when these couple of teens bump into him from behind, he goes off on them, uh, ripping the septum piercing out of the one kid's nose and just th mopping the floor with these kids. Uh, my favorite bit is the shot from the parking lot where you just see the kid in the green jacket getting tossed through the air. Over. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. It's so My good. My favorite shot is after when the sheriff is in the store. He's like, oh, here. I know. It's oh, here we go. Here we go, dude. Time to do cop shit. God damn it. <laughs> it's on my way like home. Milk and bread. It's like, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, he tries to calm Chug down. Uh, but when uh, the kid with the, the bleeding nose uh, you know, says something to him, he grabs that kid again and throws him into the meat section. Um, finally, finally wears himself out. These, um, these kids that get, they, they get triggered by getting extra horny and then they, they just need to get their aggression out just a little bit. 
and then all of a sudden they mellow out again. So, I, I was my, was my shot. Yeah. Yogurt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's looking for his, uh, milkshake or whatever it was. Yeah. The thing that he squeezes in his hand and explodes <laughs> yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's all done. Um, the, and the cop just kind of hand waves things away and our trio drives off into the night. Um, I think they're dropping Gavin off at home or something like that. It's really unclear. Cause at first it looks like he's just going off to the side of the road to take a piss or something, but then they just roll up their windows and drive off without him. Um, and they're discussing, um, you know, why Ch- Chug did what he did. Um, Gavin wants to bring up the thing that he saw the other night. Rachel just is blaming it on steroids and shooting down his theories because they're crazy. Um, again, that opening scene just kind of hand waved away. Um, mm, this is the same sheriff from the beginning of the movie. Uh huh. Yeah. Never spoken of again. There's clearly more to tell here. They just, yeah, don't want to do it, but, uh, whatever. Um, at school the next day, uh, Gavin, he's got to get this story out. He's got to get Steve on the same page with him. So he takes him down to the boiler room, uh, which is his regular spot to go sneak a cigarette. Uh, and here's where we're introduced, uh, after he tells his story to, uh, the janitor, um, who just pops up from this hole in the ground because he's been chasing rats through the ducts of the school. And he's got this sonic device that he's trying to use to uh, chase them away. That's kind of cool. It will come back later in big ways because of course it will. Um, and he's introduced as very much a, um, slightly disturbed gentleman, uh, muttering to himself like crazy, um he ends up being a very cool character though um cut to outside um and we see that the blue ribbons are hosting a charity car smash event which i haven't seen since i was a senior in high school myself um i don't know if these things are things anymore i don't know um yeah no kidding especially when you're using a pristine classic Mustang for that because it's Dickie's Mustang and we are introduced to Dickie himself now reformed as a blue ribbon who, yeah. Um, With no takes, bruises, no nothing. We don't know the time. No, exactly. Because again, weird cuts. Uh, it's yeah. probably been a few days, I would assume. But yeah. um, as they're observing all this activity, uh, the trio's talking about their theories again, and Steve, he doesn't want to believe Gavin's story, blaming the weed, and, uh, you know, he just kind of walks off. I keep saying trio, but UV is actually involved in this one. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, he doesn't say a whole lot, so it's kind of easy to forget him, but, uh, his character's still fun. Um, to, to put a little more context into that, right before mm. they meet the janitor downstairs in one of the deleted scenes, um, Gavin starts talking to Steve about Mary Jo. He starts putting okay. that idea in the head before the janitor arrives in the same basement, border room, wherever they are. And I don't know what school has a room like this, but yeah. So Hey, you, you can't have a, you know, a Freddy Krueger without having a boiler room, so... Sure. There you sure. go. It's like under the sewers. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. It's normal. It's normal. Sure. Um, 
So, yeah, because uh, later on they reference an argument and Steve walking away from this scene, it's barely an argument. It's just a, okay, dude. Yeah. It's, it's puff puff pass. It's not your father's marijuana anymore. Um, it's yeah. Yeah. So we, we cut from here to Steve approaching the yogurt shop, going to see what it's all about. Um, yeah, I love the signage on this show. Focus. They show a focus on that one extra who's behind the cash register. Just mm. a heads up. You see him numerous times later on in the movie. Just going to point out. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. It's again, not tons of people in this film, even though they're trying to make it look like it's a lot more people. Um, so yeah, he's uh, going to see what the yogurt shop's all about. And he's about to get sucked into the blue ribbons, black hole. Uh, when Gavin steps into the shop to save him, we get the comment about, you know, one argument you storm off or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the blue ribbons are like, fuck off dirt bag. Basically. Um, they're doing everything they can to sway, um, to sway Steve to their side. Um, God, they're just so. I do love the one. Comment. I do love the one comedy made. Like, didn't you guys fight in English class? He's like, yeah, but we, we sort of like made peace. Story. Yes. Yeah, we're, it's, like, we're, it's what separates us from the animals. He says, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. But I will say that he does. Uh, I, I forgot exactly what he says to Lorna sitting in front of her. He's like, did you have any friends in Chicago? He's like, yeah, a few. And she's like, oh, we could be your friends. I'm like, all right. That was weirdly hot. Yeah. It, weirdly it was hot, but super culty. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> That's how they get you in, Joey. That's how they get yeah. you in. I'm like, I'm like, damn it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know what? I'll take a yogurt. I'll take a yogurt. All right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Oh, oh, now, now we're getting a free haircut. Oh, there's robes involved. Oh shit! It's a free sweaters. Damn it! It's a call. Yeah, yeah, it's worth it. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Um. So yeah, Gavin basically uh, shows up to save the day. Um. They they have their little scuffle and they walk out. Um. Gavin showing him this photo of the people from inside when they used to be his friends and they were all dirtbags like him. And, you know, look at this change. Something is not right. And he reveals the reason why he came to save him. It's time to go back to the school. There's a meeting we need to see. So they sneak into like the rafters or the ductwork or whatever above the uh, auditorium. Oh yeah. Again, massive school for a tiny Island. Um, And we see this meeting between the parents of the town and Dr. Caldecott. Uh, They discuss a a new candidate for their program. And once the uh, group has their vote and approves, they bring in, uh uh-oh, Gavin's parents. Oh shit. Which which I will add that in an extended scene, mm. which was supposed to be released, uh the doctor explains what went how he failed with his own daughter and why she didn't work in this program. Gotcha. Before introducing his parents. And I'm like, kind of we should have that there, but okay. Yeah, yeah. And um we get some uh commentary on this meeting a little bit later on in the film 
uh, or they talk about other things observed, um, you know, that kind of lead them to the daughter yeah. as well, but we'll get there. Um, so of course, when Gavin sees his parents, he freaks out and they leave. Um, Steve, not understanding why it's all such a big deal. Uh, Gavin reveals that, uh, guess what? Uh, it is the end of the world. And when I go home and finding them all there waiting for me, I'm going to blow them all away. He reveals that he has a gun. Um, Steve freaked out that he has a gun, makes some kind of crack about it. I'll probably end up shooting the paper boy. Um, they wrestle and Steve gets the gun away from him. And I'm surprised that Gavin doesn't try harder to get the gun back. Yeah. Yeah. It really doesn't. And it's kind of implied that Steve uh, is walking off to go throw the gun in the water because they're, they're down at the shore here as they're uh, walking along, having this conversation. Um, but yeah, Gavin at this point is, I I can't comment on that just yet. Fair enough. Um, yeah, that, that makes sense as something like this would uh, come into play in a deleted scene later. So, but, yeah. Uh, one thing that doesn't make sense about this scene is just that um, he doesn't want to go home. He's just like, hey, you know, when I go home and they're waiting for me, I'm, you know, I'm going to take them out. But when he's when he gets offered by Steve, like, hey, just stay at my place for the night, he refuses mm-hmm. that as well. And I'm like. OK, sure. yeah, yeah, I don't get that. Um it might be something along the lines of he knows what's coming for him and he doesn't want Steve to be in danger. Yeah. 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 It, possibly. I don't know. It's that's the only way I can hand wave that away because otherwise, yeah, that's weird. That's, that's an offer he probably should have taken. Um, so yeah, at this point he's like completely broken understanding that, you know, he has his fate and he is stuck with it and he's got a couple of things he needs to do. So he walks off into the night and cut to like the next day or so, maybe, I don't know, a few days later where Gavin shows up at school, all blue ribbonified. And yeah, when Rachel, Steve and UV try to talk to him, a brawl basically breaks out and Steve is getting his ass beat and the janitor ends up breaking it up. Um, Unfortunately, uh, what's his butt? Uh, Chug just has to drop the hard R word, and he uh, he does it a second time. Um, it's uh, it was the yeah. it was the late nineties, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we we were not super kind to people with cognitive impairments, but uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, nice to wash that word out of your mouth. Um, but yeah, yeah taking uh, that away, this was probably my favorite scene. Oh yeah. It's yeah, kind of awesome scene. horrific because you get that moment of, you know, he's just beaten and bloody on the ground. You see the hand reach out to help him back up and it's Gavin. Yeah. He lifts him up only to knee him in the gut. Damn. I was like, oof. Mm, yeah. I was like, that's, that's even from the intro of the scene when the camera's just tracking behind him and they're not showing mm-hmm. his face. I'm like, this is all like this is great. This is nineties. Yeah. Oh, and again, it's all shot super well. It's it, it looks cinema. fantastic. This is cinema. Mm-hmm. And then uh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we we didn't get this kind of thing again for a very long time. Um yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, Steve is not doing so hot there. Um 
And yeah, they just kind of cut to another day. Steve's taking his lunch breaks in the uh, boiler room uh, because he doesn't like the cafeteria anymore for reasons. Um, the, the janitor, you know, basically saying, Hey, nobody likes the cafeteria. Um, and this is where the janitor's persona finally breaks because Steve notices he's got a copy of, uh, Vonnegut, uh, Slaughterhouse five. And there's, there's more to this guy than this bumbling yeah. idiot janitor. And they, they have their little talk about, you know, just wanting to disappear. And once you've done it, you know, just what you can observe because people are no longer observing you. And it's, it's a cool exchange. Uh, I like this guy quite a bit. It's um, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's the one that plays death in Bill and Ted. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, he's good. Um, but I will add again, deleted scene or an extended scene. Uh, I love it. This is what this is all here for. Yeah. <laughs> No, the, the janitor explains to Steve in this scene after their talk that years prior, I think it was like two or three years, I forgot the exact uh, number, um, there was a car crash involving five students in the town. And mm. he was saying, oh, uh, the book is the Sinister Five that he's, uh, what, what, no, what is it? The, the Slaughterhouse Five. Slaughterhouse Five. And he explains about the car crash that happened years prior, and then says like you know once the blue ribbons started showing up in town there hasn't been any more car crashes lately and again something that's like left with steve pondering as he's leaving the boiler room and i'm just like how do you it, it's a big moment it's a big scene yeah hmm. weird yeah um and again studio meddling um i'll get it oh i will get it <laughs> I'll get that cut. I'll get that cut. Uh from here, uh we've got uh later that night. Oh, you, you got something? No, no, no. He he he's I think I believe he's walking home and he passes the yeah. shop. Um Oh yeah, there's um yeah, there's the moment where he sees Gavin and all his new friends in the yogurt shop and it's just it's just one more stab in the yeah. gut as far as like a bit beat up and uh-huh. Uh-huh. But yeah, then he's like walking home later through the woods. And of course, all the blue ribbons are stalking him. They're on this bridge overhead. It's like a scene from the lost boys or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and he finally makes it home after stumbling and tripping his way through the, you know, dark rainy woods. Um, and of course there's uh lorna uh there for whatever reason on his couch his parents are at a meeting and she was there to tutor his younger sister and she's asleep upstairs so so what are you doing are you tutoring or are you a babysitter what, what what's happening here um of course she's just there for him but um yeah uh he wants to kick her out and she's like, well, at least let me use the bathroom first. And she heads over there and then she's watching him drink a Coke in the mirror and getting a little turned on. And of course this causes her chip to malfunction a little bit. She comes out with her shirt undone and, uh, uh her hair kind of teased up and, uh, he's like, what the fuck? And she gets a little too horny, too horny. And the chip just 
breaks like it does. She smashes her face into the mirror, Dale Cooper style, and um, picks up one of the big shards and comes after him with it. And again, once she gets a little bit of her rage out, you know, she calms down again, but still kind of broken. She's like, I got to go. I got a big physics test tomorrow. Um, it's like, no, you need to go and get yourself checked out, girl. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not good. If you were to look at uh, uh, James Marston drinking a, a, a Coke, I understand the reaction. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And it, while she's having her freak out moment, she's repeating, you know, bad, wrong, wrong, bad, bad, wrong, wrong, bad. And these, uh, these words were in her head. Yes. Yeah. I, I love all the repetition. Yeah. It's, it's very clear that some conditioning has happened along with all of this, uh, you know, reformatting of the kids. Um, so we cut to Dr. Kaldika and some other doctor examining the girl. Uh, talking about how, yes, her implant malfunctioned because of excessive horniness. It's it's what happened. Uh, talking about how, you know, it just caused the uh, pineal gland to, you know, just produce too much dopamine and she snapped. Yeah, that, that darn pineal gland will get you every time, just like in uh, From Beyond. Uh, but at least we don't have it sticking out of people's foreheads in this one. Um, excellent flick, though excellent flick uh horny as hell but excellent flick um uh so it's a very quick scene and basically yes just confirming all of our suspicions about you know a chip implanted in the eye and conditioning and all sorts of other shit um and then we get the next day with uh rachel oh oh oh, not yet we don't no no and this is where there is a deleted scene here where he uh steve has a conversation with his sister to kind of raise the suspicions like hey something is going on in this town but doesn't tell her what happened downstairs with lorna i mean i'm sure he'd like to leave that part out at least certain parts of it um yes but yeah yeah and then the next day (laughs) we get uh rachel going to the boiler room to uh, have a cigarette uh, in the little hiding space where they keep their smokes, she finds a, a disc that uh, Gavin had burned for her. Um, and this is where Chug walks in to just be extra aggressive with her. Um, she's saved by the janitor with his sonic device, which Chug ends up smashing. And as he's walking out afterwards, uh, he's like twitching and glitching and stuff. It's. Like uh huh. It's um yeah, but it's very clear what will end up being you know their salvation at some point in this movie. It's it's yeah. the uh, the particular frequency that this box is putting out, um, and we get the blue ribbons continuing to stalk Steve. Um, yeah, he and he's very concerned about his sister uh, falling for their charms. Um. Yeah. But uh, at this point, he goes off to see Rachel, uh, who shows him the video that Gavin left for her. It's basically his big goodbye. Um, And he drops a little clue about this uh, hospital across the bay. Uh, He overheard. uh, He went back to the high school after his uh, exchange with Steve at the beach and overheard somebody talking to Caldecott about uh, these people that, you know, were 
essentially the uh, first subjects and Caldecott just went off on the guy that brought it up and figured it's probably important. Rachel reveals that she's already done the research as far as where uh, Caldecott was working uh, prior to coming to their sleepy little town. And it's just a quick ferry ride away. So off they go. But except, <laughs> except uh, sprinkled throughout this bit of timeline, UV is doing some investigating work himself. In oh, I would have liked to have seen that. I would have as well, but there's a reason for it. And I'll, I'll explain that later. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so yes, they, uh, take off on a ferry to the mainland and as they're waiting on their trip, they're on the upper deck, uh, getting the last little bit of sun of the day. And, uh, Steve explains to her about his older brother's suicide at this point, he opens up and it's fucking heartbreaking. And you know, she, she actually is a pretty nice friend to him about all this here. So yeah. it's, it's cool. Yeah. There is scenes and an entire backstory relating to his brother that was removed from the movie. It sure as shit feels like it. Um, yeah, yeah, that's too bad. It's for as fun a film as this is, you know, the film's great, but it could yeah. be better, right? Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess they were just like, hey, he's he's just releasing Can't Hardly Wait right now, he has enough camera shine over there, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh God, that's a film I need to go back to and see how that doesn't hold I up. Did. Um, <laughs> I did. Pretty much what I expect. Yes. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. No one has a cell phone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That breaks the movie. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he opens up about all this and, uh, then basically cut to them, uh, sneaking into a creepy mental hospital with the worst security in the world. Um, yeah. they, they yeah. get in here with great ease and they're basically encountering all of Caldecott's fa uh, failed experiments along the way you get, you know, people with, uh, obvious, um, injuries to their eyes. Uh, other people just completely broken by the experience. Uh, they eventually, uh, come to a rec room with, uh, I think it's some Barry Manilow playing because of course it is. Um, why wouldn't it be? Um, and as this nurse comes in, they run off to, uh, hide and find this young lady on like a back porch or something that's enclosed, but, uh, and all of the she's having a freak out repeating these lines about the little creatures hiding in the, in, in in the flowers or whatever. And uh, she's going off like crazy, riling up all the other patients. And Katie Holmes just lays her out. It is great. <laughs> yes. Down to and, the sound effect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's such an 80s, 90s punch of a sound effect. Um, and uh, this is where we discover this is Caldecott's daughter. Oh, what a sick motherfucker, right? Uh, he's an awful father because he has dumped his daughter there after experiment, experimenting on her. And when they realize that it's the daughter, they flee to Harvey Danger. And uh, again, the big trailer scene right here. Um, and, and again, horrible, horrible security. They just get in and out of this place like nothing. It was last yeah. time. 
I, I guess. I mean, we only ever saw one nurse and one security guard for the entire operation. So, but this was the part I, I picked the volume up when the song started blasting. Oh yeah. Cause it's a bop, right? It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. they, they yeah. were a one hit wonder, but, uh, it, it was a fun song. Um, so yeah, uh, cut to them, uh, stopping for gas, uh, realizing that they got to hurry to get to that last, uh, 1130 ferry. And, uh, of course, who would happen to pull into the gas station but Officer Cox, the asshole cop who's obviously in on all of this, and he questions what they're doing out because it's past curfew. They claim they were out studying. He's like, where's your books? And, uh, Good point. Good yep. Point. And then uh, the janitor pulls in, uh, causing a bit of a distraction, and he does his little song and dance to help distract but ultimately, um, nope, nope, nope. The, the cops like get out of the car and he's thrown him in the back of the cruiser and all seems like is it's lost, but no, uh, the janitor clocks the cop over the back of the head with one of his rat boxes and it's glorious. He's like, what the fuck are you waiting for? Get out of here. Um, it's good. And they do. Um, they, uh, skip the ferry ride, uh, unless that's a deleted scene. There's so many. Um, and yeah, they, they arrive back at Steve's house. Um, Rachel's waiting in the truck for Steve to go get his sister. The plan is get the sister, get out. Um, I probably, the plan is also for UV to meet up with him, uh, because of something that happens in just a little bit. Um, but, and uh, scene, but go on. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, uh, he gets his sister downstairs and lights flip on. There's the parents. They're like, what the hell are you doing? He's like, we're getting out of here. We're getting back to Chicago. Unfortunately, Holocaust's there too, uh, because Steve's parents have signed him up for the program. Uh, Steve ends up sucker punching the good doctor and get, oh yeah. He goes down like a sack of potatoes. Um, And Steve steps outside to find all the blue ribbons standing out there uh, towering over him. And he's like, oh, fuck. And uh, yeah, yeah, they they knock him out. And yeah, he's having a bad, bad couple of weeks here, uh, but culminating in a horrible evening. Um, they, They must have Rachel already. Uh, because they yeah. knock him out and uh, UV is kind of watching from the shadows. That's why I figured their plan was to escape with him as well, because he was probably coming to them. Um, and when he wakes up, he's strapped to a gurney and being pushed through some really dank looking tunnels. Uh, he looks over and he sees Rachel strapped into a chair uh, and he is brought into a similar looking operating theater. Um, he scuffles with the uh the techs and manages to snag a a scalpel uh just before getting strapped into the chair and this is where of course caldecott's got to step in and monologue about shit and uh, he taunts the doctor about his daughter and the doctor is revealed to be worst father ever because of what he says about you know her um Yeah. yeah it's not great so they strap him up and they get him started with this really horrific combination of like a clockwork orange and uh fire in the sky. Um, you know, between the, I can't shut McGlazies as he watches all this, uh, motivational, encouraging, um, 
propaganda type shit uh, flashed in front of him. He also has this implant coming straight at his eye, uh, but super slow and it's like super heated as well. It's um, it's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, it's terrifying. I don't know how somebody's eye is supposed to survive this implant going in. Um, but, you know, we're going to hand wave that away. Um, Which I have an upcoming question in a few seconds. Ah, Go on. Okay. Uh, so he manages to cut himself free uh, during all of this. And he's got... Um, you know, kind of total recall style. He's got the thing strapped as uh, uh wrist with the pipe coming off of it. And he stabs yeah. the one tech with it. Um, and he, he breaks himself free and you get this great moment where he smacks this other tech in the head with the pipe. And I just, I love how the scene plays out and the sound of the pipe connecting. It's, it's, I got the frame cinema. The man coming cinema. Yeah. <laughs> Man's just coming in. He gets hit. I'm like, what the hell just happened? Oh yeah. It's good. And he, he gets uh Rachel loose. And this is where I start getting Halloween three vibes. This is where my questioning comes in. Okay. Cause he comes, he comes to, you know, get, get Rachel out of the chair and stuff. And she's knocked down. He's waking him up. I'm like, wait a minute. If you're knocked down, you're sleeping. How was that? eye going to implant. How was that? eye ever going to implant you. You were mm-hmm. knocked. You were asleep. You were knocked out. Apparently, just FYI, just throwing that out there. Yep. So I start wondering to myself as I'm watching this. Oh no! Did they get to her before he was able to get her free? Is this Halloween three all over again? And she's actually a robot, right? Um. Oh no, she's definitely not. But um, I love how they play off of that in that she's silent. She doesn't say a thing. She's completely mm-hmm. out of it. He can barely carry her through the hallway, where they ultimately run into Chug, and he, he throws he, the word again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does, and uh, they tussle. Um, and next thing you know, Rachel gets in one good whack with the pipe, and he comes after her. And he gets a second good whack in the head from her and she probably kills him because of the amount of blood that's coming out of his head on the floor. Um, but good for her because he's an asshole and uh, he he will not be missed. Um, so they make it outside just again, horrible security in these facilities. I don't know what's going on. Um, but for something that's supposed to be so secretive and, you know, you're probably going to have people that don't want to be there. Um, yeah, they, they, they think they're all powerful, powerful, I guess. Um, yeah, they, they run outside and, uh, just as, uh, UV's pulling up in Rachel's truck, uh, he's got Steve's sister. They have this great little exchange before they hop in. Like, wait, 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 man, it's the capital of North Dakota. And Steve's like, how the fuck should I know? He's like. You're cool. You're good. You're cool. Yeah, you're good. Come in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. Um, they make their way to the ferry, uh, but they find their road blocked by all the blue ribbons and Caldecott. Maybe that's why uh there wasn't the security because he had to get all of these people arranged and it's like a lot of phone calls to me. That that, that guy's the real Michael Myers. He got sucker punch, ends up in the next scene hit again mm-hmm. ends up in the next scene it's like wow guy your speed oh yeah it's on point man yeah and maybe um you know there's some communication that transmits through the implants maybe that's how they uh don't have to make tons of phone calls in order to arrange this roadblock i don't know um 
But uh, yeah, all seems lost until uh, they hear the horn of the janitor's El Camino racing in to save the day. And he gives the good doctor this awesome hip check with the end of that car. <laughs> it is so great to see this guy go flying. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. Um, and he's got a giant cluster in the bed of the El Camino of the rat devices. And he fires it up and all the blue ribbons just scream out in pain and they're on the ground clutching their heads and shit. And, uh, they start tearing off after him to destroy these boxes. Uh, and he's leading them away from the kids, uh, which is great. It's, uh, Oh, before even all of this, uh, before the hip check, we had uh Caldecap blasting away at him with a handgun and, um, that will come into play in a minute. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is where, uh, we get the, you know, big romantic moment then of, uh, uh, Steve giving Rachel a kiss goodbye, you know, basically getting her and UVA to get his uh, sister to safety at the ferry and he'll meet up with them as soon as he can. And he grabs 20 minutes. one of the, yep. Uh, he, he grabs one of the blue ribbons, dirt bikes and takes off into the woods after them. Uh, he's able to get ahead of the mob which makes sense. They're just running. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, meanwhile, uh, the janitor's in his car and he's able to get ahead. He meets up with the janitor at the cliffside, and, uh, it's revealed he's wounded. He's got a gut shot and he's basically going to sacrifice him to take down, uh, sacrifice himself rather to take down all these psycho kids. Um, kids. and Yeah. 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 But he, he understands. Yeah. Yeah. He understands that they can't be unleashed upon the world. Right. Um, (laughs) so, uh, he waits for them to basically all hop on the vehicle to start tearing it apart and then, uh, drives over the edge while quoting some pink Floyd. Uh, yeah. Teacher, leave those kids alone. Yeah. It's good. Um, and they all go over the side lemming style. Um, and this is where, uh, Steve turns around and again, super Michael Myers style or Jason style. They both do the same thing, uh, where they just pop out of nowhere and there's Caldecott and yep. It's not over yet. You know, I, I can move this to other towns. There's other towns, other cities. We can keep this going. You haven't won. And Steve just pops them <laughs> and they get into this knockdown drag out there rolling around on the cliffside. And eventually Caldecott gets um, flung overwards, gripping onto Steve's foot as he hangs off the edge. And uh, Steve repeats one of the blue ribbons phrases of be the ball ball. (laughs) kicks the guy in the face and he goes flying off. It's great. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, dopey, dopey dialogue. Awesome execution. (laughs) Um, I'm here. Great visual effects. Great visual. Oh yeah. Yeah. Is it as good as Hans Gruber falling off of Nakatomi Plaza? No, but it's, it's, it's getting there yep um and then steve just barely makes the ferry basically as the ramp is going up and security one guy oh yeah one guy and uh he's very uh able to uh swerve around the little barrier arm thing um so he does this uh you know half-ass jump off of the ramp 
and uh, does not come to a graceful Akira style motorcycle slide. No, he eats shit. Um, at least, so. yes, at least we got one of those in Nope, and I'm I'm yeah. definitely happy about that. Um, so yeah, yeah, he uh, gets up, and uh, there's Rachel, and uh, you know they catch up and, uh, and probably kiss here again, and uh, they reunite with uh, UV and uh, the little sister. And, uh, and they all head off into the sunset slash uh, sunrise because I think this is the early morning. Um, and we just immediately cut to this awful, awful classroom, like Dangerous Minds style classroom where, you know, that teacher goes home every day and just drinks himself into a coma. Yeah. Yep. And this, this is the new student teacher. And you know, I want you to show him some respect and blah, blah, blah. And the guy turns around and it's revealed to be Gavin. He has survived and his eye flashes red, which is an awesome ending. Yes. Nice little freeze frame ending. Yeah. Uh, we get a return of, uh, got you where I want you. And, um, yeah, we, we shift to credits from there. Uh, credits that, you know, have the awesome score, but end with, uh, the creepy voiceover from Caldecott's uh, daughter hey, with girl. the, hey, uh, yep. And Lorna, um, it's, you know, Mark Snow, uh, did all these musical releases of his scores in the nineties where there were lots of voiceovers on the recordings. So this does not shock me. Uh, he did that a lot for X-Files, uh, soundtracks. It was, it was weird. Um, what you got now? Here? Now, what I would say is the original ending. Mm-hmm. For those who are unaware, I don't know if you've seen the original ending. I may have on like a DVD way back when, but by all means, take the floor here. When when Steve on his Akira style jumps onto the boat and fails miserably. Oh yeah. Uh Gavin is there with UV uh uh Rachel and his sister, and he has them as, uh, uh, holding a shotgun. Hmm. And long story short, he goes about like, you guys are not seeing the real picture. Why are you guys? He actually goes in through, through a, a whole mini monologue there. And right when uh, he, he slow motion, you see it like slowly points the gun at Steve UV brings that gun he had previously. Mm. And shoots Gavin three times. Um, so he's on the floor and he kind of for a moment snaps back into his previous self, pre blue <laughs> ribbon. And he's just like, three times? Like three times? You shot me three times? And he's like, Yeah, I guess I'm never gonna meet uh, Trent Rasner. And, and and he goes into this whole thing and he passes away. He 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 dies there. And uh, uh, Katie Holmes, no, I keep saying her real name, Katie Holmes and Steve, uh, uh, they walk to the other side of the boat and they hugging and kissing and, and, and then it just fades to black and the movie ends there. Okay. Hmm. Which, um, which I'm not a big fan of actually. No, no. I, I like how the, uh, theatrical ending ends up leaving it a little open. Uh, for a sequel that we clearly never got. And uh, yes, and that's OK. I, I, I like those types of endings. So so MGM uh, asked uh, David to film another ending because the test audiences didn't want Gavin to die. 
Mm. And the test audiences were coming back negative because they didn't want him to die. So they filmed that scene. Okay. Uh, at, at the school, which is strange. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, <clears throat> clearly him going off into the world to uh, make some of the corrections that he found so appealing in his new life, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So now in terms of the differences, uh mm. earlier I said there were three cuts. I actually mistaken that there's four cuts. <laughs> and for those who are able to watch this in on TV, sci-fi channel, or oh, that's right, I heard about. Yeah. Yeah, they actually added the deleted scenes back into the movie using the new ending with him at the school, but they did remove the violence. Uh that obviously would have made this rated R, mm-hmm. uh, which is very weird because the director's cut goes close to two hours, and the cut that ended up in theaters was a, an hour and twenty minutes. So, roughly yeah. half an hour was removed. A lot of stuff was removed in half an hour. Um, and from what I've been told, the lucky few in twenty nineteen Fangoria. Um, was treated to a director's cut viewing with the director and stated that it is miles better than the final cut that we have seen here. Come on, MGM, get your head out of your ass. It's (laughs) And and that disappoints me greatly. And one of the things that David Nutter did say, uh, I believe it was at a Times interview many years ago, said that MGM basically was telling him, like, well, teens are not going to sit in a theater for close to two hours, for over 90 minutes. Which was weird. We have an Avatar movie that just released, which yeah. is three hours. And- you got that a few years back. There was Endgame. It's, come on. Yeah. Yeah. It's As much as I like a tight 90-minute horror film, Yeah, if the film's worth it, I mean, I can't wait to see Bo is Afraid. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, give, me, give me that long Ari Aster movie. It's, I, yeah. I'm down. <sighs> but it, it it sucks because uh he uh from his interview there was a great interview he did with Fangoria years ago and he was extremely upset because he was like this was not my work this was not my vision this was butchered this was they took their hands on it and just chopped it up they even brought in a new editor which they didn't even credit Ugh. uh uh um George, George Fosley Jr. He's done a few. He's done many, many. I know the name. Um, I just yeah. blanking on what. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. there's probably a good reason why David Nutter uh, has mostly stuck with television and not really wanted to, you know, do feature films. And he's only done a couple, really. Um, yeah, yeah. And you know, good for him. He's won some Emmys for his directing. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's it, he's getting it this. It really sucks. It, it it really sucks that like you know you you're basically your baby here is being butchered. Yeah, so yeah. I I understand not wanting to have that experience again because of yeah. that. Um, I mean, shit. Look at uh, David Lynch. You know, he has uh, repeatedly said he has absolutely no desire to see Denis Villeneuve's uh, Dune. And, uh, you know, wants nothing to do with it because his experience filming the original, uh, 84 version, um, you know, 
that film was all over the place. You know, it was a lot of it really self-indulgent David Lynch. Sure. Uh, I think it works really well as a David Lynch movie. Uh, but yeah. also, I mean, there's clearly some studio shit going on. Hell, if you've ever seen the like four hour long sci-fi channel, like director's cut. Yeah. Directed by Alan Smithy. You know what that means? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, I get somebody wanting to step away from stuff like that. Yeah, it really sucks because there is um, fans that came together and edited the movie themselves closer to the original Disturbing Behavior version. Uh, there is a brave soul out there who did put it on YouTube, but mm. ironically, MGM blocked it. So Can't imagine why. Can't imagine why. Yeah. But very weirdly, it does sit currently, as we speak, it does sit on YouTube. You may need to find a VPN or some way to go around it, but it's still there. Hmm. Um, it says it's blocked by this country, by MGM. Um, gotcha. I tried. I tried. I'm, I'm still trying, and I will get through it. But <laughs> um, I will say that I myself am putting together a cut of this. Ah. Uh, and it's it's I'm trying to find every nook and cranny of, of footage that I can get to piece it together. Um, it's it's so sad. Yeah, it, well, it, it's not that it's like the worst movie in the world. It is clearly tons of fun. Um, and e I, even, yeah. you know, 25 years later, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff. 25 years later does not hold up, especially out of, you know, the 90s. Um, but, uh, yeah, this movie still absolutely rips. Um, I just, I've been seeing a growing, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I've been seeing a, a growing appreciation for this movie. People that are just finding it now. Yeah. Um, and then a uh, shout factory did release a Blu-ray version a few years back. And, um, uh, so everything is uprised. Uh, so I'm ripping the deleted scenes off of that to try to make my cut. Um, but David Nutter was very close to featuring the director's cut in the home releases, but MGM again blocked him. Uh, yeah, and it's just, but he has it apparently. Well, we can all dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in in, in terms of. In total, there are about 11 deleted scenes. The original ending, certain scenes were extended longer, mm -hmm. which 20, 20 to 25 seconds added to a scene can really change. Oh, absolutely. A ton. Um, it, oh, there's just a, I, again, I, I want to believe the truth is out there. I, I will <laughs> find it. I'm just like, I'm putting the pieces together. I'm like, man, we're so close. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just hoping that one day David Nutter himself was like, you know what? Hey, I uploaded it on this thing. Take it. Yeah. You never know. Um, I've, or you've seen that done. May, maybe he'll work something into his will where uh, once he passes, uh, it'll, it'll all come out. Uh, you never know. You okay, never know. I really, I really hope again, eventually it, it will. I, I just hope it sees the light of day while he's still alive to, you know, get, you know, some of the appreciation 
uh, that will clearly come from a, a more full vision of his work getting released. It's I, I, I have faith that people will find a far better appreciation of this film from something like that. Um, like you said, the truth is out there. Yeah, <laughs> I just hope this is randomly sitting on a computer somewhere that someone finds and it's like, hey, you know what? Here you go. Upload it. Mm hmm. Or somebody spills their Coke on a keyboard and it just magically happens. I don't know. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. Um, yeah. We'll be tweeting at him once we're done here. <laughs> well, uh, Joey, any final thoughts on disturbing behavior? Yes, I feel that um, actually working in education for over seven or eight years, uh, I've shown this movie to high school students today. They love it. They absolutely love it. Obviously, they're not supposed to be watching this. It's rated R. Probably not. Yeah, yeah. This is behind, you know, behind closed doors. But it's, it's, there's such a weird, there's, it's just a fun factor to this movie that's like, you could shut off your brain for some of the things that don't make sense and things of that nature. Yeah. And just, and I'm just like, there, there's been times I've tweeted the past two or three years where I'm just like, hey, this movie could be remade today mm. as a soft reboot in a new city with, you know, out there. And I'm just like, you could have so much fun with a remake or a soft reboot to this today. With the education yeah. system being the way it is. Well, there's definitely um, you know, plenty of properties that want to do different takes on Stepford Wives style uh, scenarios. You know, we, we see them time and time again. So, yeah, you could absolutely do a soft reboot of this or just a straight up remake um, and have some fun with it. I think yeah. could. You could have James Marston as uh, the doctor. There you go. That would be a fun touch. Um, Cause right about now he's probably about the age the Bruce Greenwood was when he filmed uh, this movie. So there you go. Yeah. Um, if you'd like Joey, where can people find you? I am Twitter underscore Brooklyn bear. All right. All right. Well, this was a lot of fun. I, I will absolutely try to get you back on something else again, because uh, this is a blast. We will find something. Um, yeah. But this has been Murders with Mertens, a horror film podcast. Thank you for letting us tickle your ear holes. Please like, share, and subscribe if you are so inclined. I'll be back soon enough with another episode. But until next time, stay spoopy, everyone.